With so much distrust, it's clear that the presence of trust affects the culture within our organizations and the ways in which we approach our work. But today, we hope to explore why trust is so important, how to foster it more deeply, and how to work toward repair when trust has been breached so that we can invest in healthy organizations and workplace relationships. Welcome to the Behaviorist Podcast with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Carmela Tress. Our intention for the Behaviorist Podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin a shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we're turning our focus on trust, fostering trusting relationships in the workplace, cultivating trusting collaborations among teams, and repairing breaches in trust, not if, but when they occur. We're grateful to have Vanessa Filbert, CEO of Community Action Partnership and Associate at Work Wisdom, and Jason James, Art Director at Fig Industries, joining me for this conversation today. Jason and Vanessa, why exactly is trust so important to you and your work? I think trust is important uh, because without it, I feel like people have an uneasy footing. I feel like they don't feel like they can be themselves. They don't feel like they can explore their sense of creativity and their sense of potential. Um, and I don't think they feel like they're supported to be able to do any of that. So I think having that trust gives you a sense of footing, um, a sense of stability that you otherwise uh, may not get. So I, I think trust uh, works that way for, for at least my team. So. Yeah. Well, I think it's great. Well, hi, everybody. Mm -hmm. I feel like I haven't been here in a minute. So it's got to, to be with you all. Yeah. Um, so when I think about trust, I think it's essential to all relationships. Right. Um, so whether professionally or personally, um, it's kind of foundational to how we navigate the world. I think what I've experienced often is that trust um, is key to those healthy relationships, especially because seasons shift in our lives. Mm -hmm. So when life is hard and we're under pressure, um, we're experiencing trauma or loss, trust is the thing that kind of girds right. those experiences and those relationships. But it's equally, I think, important in the seasons of life that we're thriving. Mm. Um, because when we, when things are going well and we're growing and things are blooming, it also helps us to kind of know that you know we have relationships that are healthy that are helping us in those kind of thriving seasons so it's been really interesting when we think about this topic of trust how it's kind of feels foundational to healthy workplaces but to healthy relationships right yeah these are really important points and they highlight some things that we want to consider when we're thinking about trust I'm going to share a little bit about an article that we read from Harvard Business Review, uh, where Frey and Morris propose that trust is driven by three core components, authenticity or the sense or belief that someone is experiencing the real you, logic, which they define as faith in your competence or judgment, and empathy, 
when others believe that you really care about them. They propose that in different contexts, the stresses uh, that we experience erode trust and trust needs intentional rebuilding, which they refer to as the trust wobble. They propose that building self-awareness and inviting others' feedback on where our trust wobbles are occurring gives people the ability to invest more in those areas, strengthening trust, and repairing breaches when they occur. Vanessa and Jason, what are some things that have gotten in the way of your engaging in trust-building behaviors at work? Yeah, well, first I want to say this trust wobble thing is gold. It's it's pure gold. Um, I, I think when I'm leading teams, one of the things that I feel responsible to do is to create and provide language for experiences so that we can navigate these moments, to your point, um, Carm, when they happen. So we did a lot of training with our team around what is the trust wobble? How does it impact psychological safety? What language can we use in trying to kind of come in those spaces and do the repair? Um, So when I think about this idea of what happens at work, what gets in the way, I think the first thing is not having language, Hmm. right? Not understanding the concepts of that. Um, I also think it's this idea of um, competition, Right. Um, Especially in the work environment where people are trying to like, you know, put their best foot forward or trying to demonstrate that they are a quality candidate for an upcoming promotion or whatever that looks like. So there's a competitive nature of things that can interestingly get in the way um, when we think about how do we manage those relationships at work. Um, I also think, you know, this idea of unclear roles and responsibilities can create Mm -hmm some sort of distrust. Um, so I don't know, what do you guys think when you think about those unclear roles? Yeah, that resonate? Vanessa, see, it, it goes back to me for where you said uh, the trust goes outside of just your work relationship. It starts mm-hmm. before that. It starts from when you're a kid. And I think that so many people have been wounded in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. They've grown up in different ways that I think, you know, as a kid, you trust anybody. Um, and, and you've had these experiences that kind of show you that the world isn't a safe place. Um, And so you start to put up these walls, you start to put up these uh, guarded places. And I think by the time you get to be an adult and you've got your big boy, big girl job, uh, you you have these walls and these ways of of your own, you know, iteration 20 of yourself. And you're trying to say, okay, now who do I need to be for this professional Mm -hmm. role that I'm I'm a part of? Um, And kind of going with that, there's a sense of, I can't be vulnerable because if I don't protect myself, nobody else is going to protect me. And so I feel like that first thing, that sense of, that that uh, um, that point of, of authenticity, that one place where you're being who you really are supposed to be, I think it goes hand in hand with vulnerability. And people are so afraid to be vulnerable that uh, I think they won't let anybody in. They won't, they're too afraid to be um, uh too afraid to be wrong. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think they talked about it in, in one of the articles that um, being afraid to be wrong and being afraid to um, be vulnerable hampers things and it breaks down that relationship because no one can get in. No one can be there to protect you or to right. help you out. So I think that's a, a big issue that I've seen when it comes to trust in the workplace. Yeah, and I would think, I think that idea of like trusting others but trusting yourself, mm-hmm. like when do you know? Right. 
Um, so there's a few things that I think have to happen, which is you have to be clear about your values, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what you're showing up in the world to do it and what season of life that you're in. Right. I think the other thing that happens in workplaces, which I see, um, and sometimes very innocently, um, maybe even subconsciously, is triangulation, mm, yeah, which erodes trust, right? Because we think we're being vulnerable, sharing with someone mm -hmm. um, a frustration, a concern, um, something that maybe they don't agree with in the workplace. Um, and it starts off with this idea of like, I'm trying to express myself in a safe way, but can easily become triangulation. Right. Um, and how do we create the space in which we can call that before it erodes mm -hmm. the trust of the person that maybe right. you're talking about? Right or the thing that you're frustrated with um, versus like exercising that with the person who's actually involved. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think that sense of vulnerability must come with a sense of courage as well, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you gotta go to the person, oh, or you have right. to go to the situation and face it mm -hmm. and be able to own up. I think the thing that I see a lot in terms of um, my career history is the fear to own up to the places where I am not the best. And I think in order to understand your C's, in order to, uh, be your best self, you've got to be able to see the landscape and see there may be things that are wrong here in the place that I'm working. No place is perfect. Right. But you've got to be able to look at yourself and say, what places can I, am I contributing to the to the bad stuff? Mm -hmm. And what places am I contributing mm -hmm. with my strengths yeah. to the good stuff? Yeah. And yeah. being okay with your weakness, being okay mm -hmm. with your strength, and, and knowing that that full person, that holistic person, mm -hmm. um, is what you're bringing in that, that point of authenticity. Yeah. yeah. I think what is showing up for me as the two of you are, are talking, making incredible points, is that there's an interaction effect that happens mm -hmm. here because mm -hmm. when we are afraid to be vulnerable or competing, trying to hide a weakness, not taking responsibility for that weakness, we can admit that we're wrong. Or we're afraid that, you know, it's going to be weaponized when we acknowledge we're wrong or the context won't be psychologically safe enough to hold and repair when we're wrong. And this doubling down starts to happen where mm -hmm. we're wrong and we're not maybe admitting that. And so then it. we can't, we're hiding mm -hmm. um, or lying to ourselves and then we can't change behavior because we can't take responsibility for the behavior that needs to change. And next thing you know... Mm -hmm. You know, the trust wobble gets pretty. Yeah. And I love a good <laughs> wobble dance. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love the, the wobble, wobble dance. Right? I do right. love that dance. Um, I also think it's interesting because I do feel like this is a big part of a leader's responsibility mm. is to create culture and environment that nurtures mm -hmm. these kind of trusting behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, so I have kind of leaned into this idea of when I coach and talk with leaders, it's mirror, mirror, and three layers. Mm. So mirror, mirror is like, it always starts with you, the leader. Mm. So if you're not exercising vulnerability, if you're not using the language around the trust wobble, if you're not open to people telling you when you have um, created the infraction, mm. you know, when you've triangulated, you've got to own that, right? right. Mm -hmm. So that initial sense of like, who am I? How do I show up under pressure? Um, how do I manage trust? How do mm -hmm. I define it? Right. Starts with the yeah. leader. Yeah. Um, and then the three layers are always about my relationship with self, my relationship with people, and my relationship to the organization. So if we want organizations that are thriving, I th you know, it's really clear for me that this idea of psychological safety and trust are essential, foundational to healthy cultures. Mm -hmm. um, but if you don't have leadership that is living into 
and believing in that kind of practice, um, it will be difficult to be able to say, I need to have that conversation right. with my supervisor or with you know the leadership of, a, of a, someone who's leading a team um, because that culture piece isn't locked in right. because mm-hmm. there isn't value right. for that exercise. Yeah. I hear a lot of like, um, lip service with that kind of thing. We hear mm-hmm. all about culture these days mm-hmm. and you hear a lot of lip service, oh, we want to be vulnerable, we want to be this, we want to be that, but then the actions don't follow, you know? And I think really when you say first look at yourself, mm-hmm. that's so important. And then being able to walk that out. I remember reading uh, Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull, which is the story of Pixar. And he talked about Pixar, uh, they were working on Toy Story 2 and the whole movie was deleted. Like all of the artwork, all of the animation, everything was deleted um, by one of the team members. And they were scrambling. They was just about to come out. They were just about to release it. And thankfully, a woman who was on maternity leave had downloaded the whole thing onto a hard drive and had the whole thing. But the thing that really stood out to me is that they didn't then go and reprimand and mm-hmm. punish the people that accidentally deleted it, but their culture was as such that even when you fail, even when things don't go the way that we originally planned, we want you to thrive. And they mm-hmm. allowed the opportunity for them not only to um, own up to the mistake that they made, but to thrive. And I think the people or person that did it um, was able to go on and, and do like wonderful things at Pixar. I can't remember the story exactly, but really the, the, that's the uh, example of the leadership really being about um, what they say yeah. um, and allowing um, th- th- allowing the trust not to be uh, of, of the employee not to be on just uh, uh, actions, but on the full understanding of who that person is, who mm-hmm. those people are, and really putting that into practice. So there is a sense of safety in the mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's something that I really am, am big about. Yeah, I mean, that's, go ahead. Carmen. I'm just thinking about the things that are standing out to me as you're talking about that. Not only courage, mm-hmm. which you mentioned a few right. minutes ago, you right. know, the leadership looking at this pretty terrible breach in trust that would have cost them a lot. And not just figuring out solutions, but moving towards non-punishment, you know, has courage, but I think also has hope. And this point you just made, Jason, about seeing the entire person, not just seeing the breach, um, knowing what they stand for, knowing, you know, more than just this really, really big deal, because that's a big deal. It sounds like they were not minimizing that that no, was a really big not. deal either. Yeah. But that that balance and accountability where they could say this is a really big deal. Let's look at how to make sure this never happens again. Right. And also, we know you. We have hope for you. We have a vision for you. Right. And we can stay in that right. because of all this other context of trust and safety right. that's been here. Right. A big part of leadership, I believe, is that it's not just about the thing that that person did that made a broken trust. But a lot of times you have to look at the systems that are in place. Why was it that the person was able to delete the thing and you don't have a backup besides just luckily? And I think these people got to learn in their leadership that there are situations and environments that you created that opened people up to being able to make a mistake like that or whatever. And so not only 
were they able to extend grace and be able to holistically look at the person, but they were able to then learn themselves about the environment that they've created. Not that it was a bad environment or a good environment, but that there are things that they can learn in terms of what do we need to have in place so that we're not just relying on this yeah. one mm -hmm. yeah. pathway of thinking or this pathway yeah. of doing things. I think it's about like, you know, oftentimes I know I listen to podcasts often, <laughs> right? It's part of my Me too. morning time i'm a junkie right yeah. and trying to like multitask because i have minimal time to read some days so i'm like but i can get a podcast in mm -hmm. um but i think what's essential is when we think about theories like this where we're talking about what it means to have trust and what's a trust wobble in there you know they sound maybe heady um uh, it's really thinking out what's the practice of that thing mm -hmm. so um, one of the things, and I know it's something that um, Work Wisdom helps people with, I know it's a practice that we have in our, on our team, is these really healthy postmortems. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you create a safe environment to say, what went well here? What didn't go so well here? What do we do next time? Um, I often ask people, what did you learn today that's going to matter tomorrow? Mm. So, I, you know, as we're thinking about exploring this kind of from – this intellectual place or this academic place of what trust is and how we define it and how it shows up, I think it's equally as important to say, what are the behaviors and what kind of um, tools can people use to help really kind of go deeper with their mm -hmm. trust, but practice it in a way that that muscle becomes like muscle memory. It's right. like, mm -hmm. oh, this is our norm. This is how we manage yeah. through these things. Yeah. So it's not as scary right. um, when yeah. you're trying to have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I love the nitty gritty of this and, and the taking it from um, this place of theory and understanding and bringing it into the felt embodied, like lived into sense. Let's strike a little bit of a balance there and pop back to one set of theories to start making this um, as practical. And then I want to hear about the ways that in which you guys have both practiced this. So I want to cover really briefly the work of Paul Zak and colleagues. Um, Paul Zak is the founding director of the Center for Neuroeconomic Studies. He's a professor in economics and psychology and management at Claremont Graduate University and the CEO of Immersion Neuroscience. So whew, that is like a mouthful and a half. <laughs> but this guy has done some fascinating research on this. He and his colleagues were interested in the role of oxytocin, which is one of these bonding feel-good neurotransmitters in trusting behaviors. Through a series of studies and experiments, they've been able to show that oxytocin plays a causal role in trust, reducing fear of trusting strangers and increasing the likelihood of engaging in trusting behaviors. They and others have shown that high stress inhibits oxytocin, thereby making it much more difficult to trust, whereas higher levels of oxytocin increase things like ability to be empathetic. So Zach and his colleagues recommend specific strategies for managers to apply this knowledge to their teams, workplaces, and relationships in helping build trust. I'm going to give you these eight recommendations quick, and then let's dig into them. Number one, Recognizing excellence in tangible, personal, public ways. Two, giving people autonomy, control, and discretion about how they approach their work. Three, 
giving people choice about work tasks so that they can do more that feels interesting, meaningful, or rewarding. Four, showing vulnerability, including by taking responsibility for mistakes, admitting what you don't know, admitting your limits. Five, investing in others' growth as whole people in personal and professional domains of their lives. Six, intentionally investing in your relationships with others, caring about them, being interested and concerned about who they are as people. Seven, clearly communicating information often and with openness, helping others manage the uncertainty that will be a part of life. And eight, assigning work that's both stressful and accomplishable, empowering teams to tackle challenges that are attainable, have concrete endpoints, and making adjustments along the way as needed so that people can experience things like accomplishment and progress. So, whoa, what a heavy-hitting series of eight. But what I want to hear from your experience, and Vanessa, let's start with you. What have you seen at work that's been fostering trust in the your teams and your individual relationships? I mean, I think from an individual relationship place, um, it always starts with defining trust. So my experience in relationships, you know, I've been married almost 20 years, you know, I've been leading teams for a long time, is that not everyone defines trust the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also aren't always as clear as what is the thing that creates the trust wobble for someone. So now we have language around this empathy and authenticity and, you know, logic. But prior to that, you know, what I think is trust and trustworthiness, if it's not a shared definition, I think it's phonable Mm -hmm. to not survive. Um, Mm -hmm. So for me, foundationally, it's saying in order to know that, it's like, let's bring language and shared definition um, so what we mean by trust, what does that behavior look like? Because it's so important, right? right? Um, and I know when I was l- listening to that first one about like this idea of like public, you know, this, this that first piece, Karma, you said recognizing excellence in tangible, personal and public ways. Um, I have a philosophy. I try to, nah, I'm sure I don't get it right all the time, but, you know, praise is public. Feedback is private. Mm, mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about how do I maintain mm-hmm. trust with this person and they know that I care deeply about their growth, their development, their success, they need to know that I'm never going to embarrass them mm. or break their trust in public. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have an honest conversation with them in a safe, private environment. Right. Because that's really important. So I would say the first thing has been kind of defining what that is and what it looks like when we play it out. What are the behaviors? Um, I would also say, what do you do in the moments where trust is being breached as a leader? Mm -hmm. How do you handle those things is indicative of how people will trust you moving forward, because it might be something that Jason and I are dealing with, but the team is watching. Mm -hmm. Right. And how we manage that experience is going to really help them to be like, oh, that felt really respectful. Um, you know, that felt safe. That felt empathetic. That felt like it was under my business because it's not, right? <laughs> Whatever that is. Right, right. Um, but at least I think when people see us with other people and how we manage those opportunities, those moments, it helps them say, oh, I can trust that person because they care deeply 
and they nurtured this experience in a way that felt safe. Um, so I think those are the two that kind of pop off. I'm, Jason, what are your thoughts? Mm. Uh, I mean, I love your points. Uh, they're so great. Especially, I think, I always tell my team that good people often make different decisions about the same topic. And a lot of the times, because we want to kind of rely on our own instant biases, we think that that person automatically is bad now because mm. they didn't make the decision that I was going to make about that thing. Right. So you start to have all these narratives that show up and it quickly poisons the water. Mm-hmm. Um, it quickly dero- erodes trust when you think, I'm a good person. I thought they were a good person. How mm. come they didn't make the decision that I would have made in that situation? Mm. And the beauty of that first point of defining what is it that we're saying trust is, or mm-hmm. what is it that we're saying this policy or right. this what mandate is, like? what does mm-hmm. that look like? Yeah. And talking about that from the beginning, because I've seen a lot of times that people go retroactively and say, oh, we don't do that here. And then like, but you didn't say that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So don't come at me now with right. that. Um, and so then yeah. you find back alleys and playgrounds where you just want to start fighting about, you know, the thing that's going on <laughs> instead of handing yeah. a, handing it, mm-hmm. uh, handling it um, um, in good ways and um, kind of being upfront with someone. So kind of having that place from the beginning of seeing eye to eye and understanding what are the differences between mm-hmm. you and I and how we view a situation mm-hmm. so that it's not a surprise later on when someone handles something different. And then not characterizing so quickly that, mm-hmm. oh, you handled it bad or good. I think we're very binary in how we want to mm-hmm. handle most situations in life. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes uh, it's just different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You handle it diff- differently. Yeah. And so I, I love that point um, in terms of kind of um, utilizing some of those yeah. principles. Can I speak to something Please, there yeah. that I think my mind is being blown as you're talking about this? One of the cognitive biases that people make sometimes in navigating differences is ascribing intentionality. Mm -hmm. Not just, you know, you're a bad person now, but also you did that on purpose. And that intentionality just, I mean, can be so painful Mm -hmm. on top of everything else because now it's not even neutral differences and like, uh, oh shoot, we really just got not on the same page in a way that, you know, broke trust and was hurtful. Right. But now there's this like, and I'm leaning towards you did it on purpose. Right, yeah. right. And you and start think, to get that resentment, start bleeding yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting is that trust is such an interesting and fascinating experience because some people show up in the world and they say, you must earn it first. Mm, interesting. Right? Yeah. And some mm-hmm. people show up in the world and say, you must show me that you don't deserve it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So when you're working on teams, you don't really know who in your team is showing up saying, demonstrate to me that you, that I that I should even give you, that you've earned my trust. Mm-hmm. And then you've got other people on the team who are saying, I give you trust until you show me that you don't deserve it. Mm-hmm. So this idea of level setting around what does trust look like for you? How do you show up in the world? Are you a person who says, I give it freely? until it's something happens that makes me feel like you shouldn't have it um, or vice versa. So I I think that's really a fascinating point. Um, I think the other thing is how do we help parties and teams reset? Mm -hmm. 
because yes. relationships mm-hmm. are complicated. Trust is broken in all different kinds of ways. Um, and it goes back to that shared understanding. So even when there's an infraction, uh, um, a break in the trust experience, I think for me it starts with, are we interested in repair? Because for some people they might not be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that means lots of different things. That means maybe this isn't the job for me. Maybe I can't be a part of this team. Um, maybe I can't move forward with this relationship. But you have to know that about yourself. And if you have clarity that you are interested in repair, then it's about saying, okay, how do we level set? Where do we start from? And what is this new, clear definition of trust? And what are the behaviors that tell me without words that we're operating from the same shared definition? So I think that's going to be really interesting as we think about how to give people some, you know, encouragement about I'm on a team, there's been a kind of breach in trust, and it feels overwhelming, especially for leaders who are conflict avoidant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Breaches right. in trust for a leader who's conflict avoidant and is like, sign me up somewhere else. Right. I'm right. transferring, right? Because <laughs> it feels like the snowball effect of it all. But I think there is a healthy way to say, how do we define it? What does it look like on this team and how do we celebrate when we're getting it right, right. to help mm-hmm. reset the norm there? Yeah, and I love kind of uh, the idea of um, putting into practice a robust learning of the other, you know, or learning of your colleagues. And I think kind of building that into your trust practice. Um, my team right now, team of designers, shout out Will, Kaylee, and Emily, they are excellent designers, but they gel so well. And it, they start off with like even like silly ideas. They're laughing and they're joking with each other. They're finding commonality, a commonality, and and uh, they remember things about each other. Mm. So they're building this sense of robustness between each other that I like marvel at. I come up and I'm like wiping tears from my eyes because of how much they enjoy being around each other. And I think. That having that foundation, that basis, that respect for one another, um, I think they all respect each other's um, design capabilities. Mm-hmm. And so having that and then understanding what makes them tick mm-hmm. and understanding that is not just about the work that they're doing. I think so much of the time we get focused on the tasks, the things that we're trying to achieve, the goals that we have. But we don't realize how outside world bleeds into the work mm-hmm. that you're doing in your organization. And when you get to know someone, mm-hmm. you know that when that person didn't have their lunch, they get cranky. <laughs> you know that about them. And so you can do something sweet like bringing them a snack when you know they're busy. Mm-hmm. And that that outside knowledge of who a person is, again, we're talking about that holistic sense mm-hmm. of personhood. Mm-hmm. When you can think in that kind of format, which is a more complex thinking, you know, it's not just about what am I doing at this very moment, but thinking about the other people that are around you. When you do that, I think you build this foundation from which trust, you build this kind of fertile ground from which trust can grow in a robust kind of way. So that when there are those infractions, when there is that breaking of it, then you don't quickly go to, you did that on purpose. Oh, I think that's 100% accurate, though. Right, right. I think when I know that someone cares deeply about me, I'm not jumping to a negative intention. Mm -hmm. I think there are three key things for me in leadership. It's curiosity, right? So be curious about the people you're working with. Get to know them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the days of old to believe that, like, who you are at work is not who you are at home, and those people are separate, that's bogus, us that. right? That's yeah. bogus, right? Us that. um, and you know, be compassionate. Mm-hmm. 
because compassion goes a long way with mm -hmm. people. Um, and I really think, you know, be courageous to like help create these different norms. Um, but what I think is fascinating about your point is like people pay attention to how they're cared for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it matters. Mm -hmm. And that thing, so I've had instances in my own professional career where I've had, had really difficult conversations with staff or um, dealing with an issue of trust or a wobble where, you know, I really needed you to show up and do this thing and this didn't happen. And now I have a wobble because I can't trust your logic because, you know, the way you went about this project did not make any sense and there were gaps and it impacted the organization or the team. So using that language, what I think has been really um, so important is to say, how can I say those difficult things and deal with mistrust but still transmit, but I still care about you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I still want you to win. I want you to excel. I want this thing that's really hard to be a lesson to you so that you can be better for the future. Mm -hmm. And that is such, let's build off of that. So how have you then gone on to build trust, either mm. professionally or personally, when either you've experienced and now you're coaching somebody else into rebuilding trust mm. with you, when you've contributed to a breach in trust? Like what helped you trust again when another person broke your trust? Or what helped you call a team member into cultivating repair? Yeah, I, th I think uh, I've been blessed to be in a lot of different jobs and view a lot of different types of leadership. And I've always kind of taken into notice and, and kind of try to adopt myself is that sense of humility mm. and being able to reckon with the sense of humiliation of your own failure, mm -hmm. reckon with that. Mm -hmm. And when you can do that, this changes your leadership from, oh, I'm just gonna tell you what to do, to I can understand how you feel. And I can make decisions based on, I've been in that same kind of place. And I think so often, you know, even leaders, they wanna cover up their weak places. Mm -hmm. And teams, they have like BS trackers. They understand when, you're not who you say you are. Mm -hmm. And so then they want to kind of revolt. But if you can go through situations with grace and own up to who you are and to the things that you do well and the things that you don't do well, I think people can kind of identify with that. And sharing, not just going through that and then kind of keeping it to yourself, but being able to share. I think one of the pieces in the article talked about sharing your learning and sharing your knowledge, mm -hmm. not keeping it to yourself, not being the guru that you know keeps it all to themselves, but sharing that with others so that you can replicate this the culture that you want it to be. You want to plant seeds. You don't want to be a library where people mm -hmm. have to come to you and get it. You want to be able yeah. to plant seeds mm -hmm. and give that to um, whoever is in need. Um, and one of the things that kind of really um, impacted me. I told you I'm a podcast junkie as well. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite guys, uh, shout out to Ira Glass from This American Life. I was in a dark time of roadblock uh, and creative block and didn't think that I had the stuff to do the stuff. And he had this whole video talking about how he took the longest that he um, that anyone he knows to, to get to where he is in terms of radio and podcasting and things like that. But he talked about 
pushing in, creating more work, and being okay with having this gap between where you think that you should be and 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 where you are right now. Mm. And that just kind of blessed me so much. And I mean, I was almost at tears listening to this little clip that he did. You can find it on YouTube about the uh, talent and the uh, taste gap. And um, that thing impacted me so much that I've shared it with anyone who is experiencing a, a gap in knowledge or they're feeling like they were experiencing a, a, a roadblock. And I think that goes back to that um, sense of um, the um, block of, um, what is it, oxytocin? Uh, oh, yeah, oxytocin. Oxytocin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, that creative block goes back to that. Mm-hmm. And um, because you feel like I can't be who I really thought I was supposed to be. Um, so I think when people can see that you feel and have been through the same things, I think that really kind of solidifies and calls people back mm-hmm. to great relationship. Yeah. I think for me, when I think about personal challenges with trust, um, don't make me feel like I'm being gaslit. Mm. Mm. Let me have my experience and honor the fact that like trust was broken and own your part in that. Um, Because there's nothing kind of more uh, maddening than to have that infraction in relationship with someone who doesn't want to own it. Yeah, the invalidation of that. Oh my gosh, like no thank you for all of that. So just own it and let's figure out how we move forward um if that's the direction that i want to go right and that's up to me um i also think there's this space of like um what empathy can look like from the person who has you know created the infraction of trust that that sense of empathy and like understanding of like this thing that i did said a behavior a choice um has hurt you has created you know distrust i need to own that um, and I need to be empathetic that you are impacted mm-hmm. by a decision that I made. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, I need to be heartbroken. Right. Yeah. Because of it. Mm-hmm. I should be. Um, so I would say, you know, when I think about those personal challenges. Those are the two that kind of like don't gaslight um, and really lean into your empathy yeah. because you should. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other thing that has been interesting is to really explore for the person who has maybe been hurt by the distrust um, that I'm not a victim of that distrust. I was hurt by, mm. impacted by, um, but that I have power and choice on if I want to stay in this relationship or not, mm-hmm. whether that's personal or professional. I get to choose that because um, I think sometimes um, it can feel like I've been hurt by this lack of trust, this, you know, whether it's a stakeholder in a relationship with a company, whether it's interpersonal on a team, whether it's private, you know, private life. Sometimes it's easy to think like, oh, I'm the victim of this and now I'm stuck with this hurt or this this broken experience. And like, I get to choose that. That's all in my power. Um, And I would think, you know, in terms of what I would hope folks would do a little bit more of is really recognize... um, that leadership is so built on how people trust you. You know, if people don't trust you, they're not following you anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. right? There's no one. Yeah. You're walking around thinking yeah. you're leading the world and you look behind and you've got nothing happening behind <laughs> you. Um, so this idea of like, what does real trust look like? And how do I lean into this place of authenticity? Because mm-hmm. what I have experienced, I think COVID was a great learning experience for me. Um, because I didn't have a lot of good news to share with our staff. I didn't even have certainty because no one did. Um, but I did feel like 
they would rather hear from me often in an authentic way than not hear from me at all. Mm-hmm. And I think it helped build trust. So mm-hmm. this consistent communication and real yeah. is better than right. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of the answers, but I could be mm-hmm. authentic with them mm-hmm. in the moment. Real is better than right. Always I love that. I love that. So as we're bringing our podcast to a close today, are there any other words of wisdom that either of you would offer to leaders and people attempting to foster trust in their workplaces and lives? I think it really just relies on that authenticity piece. I think it really, that real, um, people th- things are going to be um, hard and trust is hard. But being open to paradox, hmm. not having needing to see black and white all the time, um, being able to say, there's this one thing that's seemingly contradictory to this other thing, but I can hold both mm. in my mind. It's kind of, I think it's yeah. neuroplasticity, yeah. where you can it's kind di- of... Dialectic. Right, yeah. right. Where mm-hmm. you can hold these two things to both be true. And understanding the beauty in that. There's a beauty in things that being paradoxical and being able to both exist at the same time. And when you can kind of see that and allow your mind to be molded by that, I think you're going to set yourself up for seeing all kinds of colors of the spectrum that you weren't anticipating um, in the work that you're doing. And I think Mm -hmm. it'll kind of deepen your sense of gratification, deepen your sense of flow as you're creating and making whatever you're doing um, and kind of how it impacts creatively um, your sense of leadership. So that's what I would say. Yeah, I think I would say lean into um, understanding you for the leader, what you want the culture of your organization and team to be um, and create language for that. Train, you know, do the professional development, Mm -hmm. make sure people have that shared definition and understanding of what they should experience when they're a part of this team. I mean, how we handle it when it doesn't go exactly how we thought. Um, I would say model that. Mm. So when you get it right, right, great. When you don't get it right, own that. And I think lastly, it's celebrate. Celebrate when it's going well. Celebrate those moments of like, this was tough. We worked through it. Um, and really lean into that place of, you know, joy. Mm-hmm. Because relationships that are full of trust um, have capacity to do lots of good things. Mm -hmm. Mm, I love that. I love that. I'm so grateful to both of you for being a part of this movement of helping others in the workplace to enhance their individual and collective team performance. Thank you listeners for downloading The Behaviorist and we hope you'll subscribe. Please reach out to us through the website workwisdomllc.com, where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and productions, ask questions and suggestions of topics you'd like us to explore in future episodes. As is our custom, we will leave you with a quote. And uh, I could not find a correct attribution to it, so we're leaving it without one. But here we go. Building trust is crucial for the survival of your friendships, romantic relationships, and workplace connections. Without trust, relationships fail because one or both parties feel insecure and let down. Cultivate trust by being open and transparent in the beginning, being dependable, consistent, and reliable, and taking responsibility when things don't work out quite in the way that you planned. Thank you.